Um, I'm Casey Harris, and I know a lot of you, and I don't know a lot of you, but um, I'm usually up here. And uh, like Daryl said earlier, we, uh, you know, we have prayer people that have gone through a training, but so much more than that, we want this space to be one where you feel empowered to be who you are in Christ. And I think fundamental to that identity in Christ is that you, um, there's power when we pray over each other, when we come into the throne room of God together. So know that as the leader, quote-unquote, of your prayer team or the organizer, we'd love to have you pray over each other, whether it's in your seats or in the back um, or over Libby or over anyone who's hurting. That, that This is a free space. You don't need permission from one of us to do that. Um, how does one get the audacity to pray or speak healing over someone else? Something we should talk about, considering something we're doing in here. And, uh, and I, you know, Michael has made the comment, some of us are comfortable with that and some of us aren't. And I can certainly say I have not always been comfortable with that. Um, how does someone who used to be afraid to pray out loud over anyone, much less really talk, um, someone who used to be not so sure that I was okay with God enough to be used by him, someone who um, knew that God loved me, knew that he made me in his image, I'm his daughter, but really deep down kind of wondered if I'd really disappointed him, so he probably wasn't going to actually speak to me or use me. How does someone like that pray healing or speak healing over someone? And I say speak because that's what I feel like God is personally challenging me on. Um, I read back through Matthew. We're in Matthew right now, if you have not been here recently. As Michael likes to remind us, two and a half years. We're going on two and a half years in Matthew. Almost done. Um, We're in Matthew 26, and I was trying to, you know, just kind of prepare for this morning, and so I thought, well, I'm just going to read back through all of Matthew and not look at the numbers, not look at the notes underneath, not break it up into a chunk, but just read Matthew, kind of get a sense of what Matthew's really trying to do in it. It's so helpful. Please go do it, because there's a couple of things that I assume about the Gospels, because we take them out in chunks so often, and we take them out of order. You know, we've got, like, I think... I'm sure a lot of things that I have no idea what's in what, what, whether this is from Matthew or Luke or Mark. And a lot of stories are in all the Gospels, or at least in two of, out of three. But if you read it as a book, you know, Matthew 1 to Matthew 28, um, there's a real power there. And I'm going to just share with you kind of what I was challenged on as I read through that. The first one was simply that. Um, and I, I know this and I've spoken this before, but I really saw it as I read through Yesterday, uh, absolutely everyone who came to Jesus was healed, delivered, set free. Um, I'm sure there were plenty of people who were not healed, but at least it's not recorded that I, when I say not healed, I mean that maybe we're in the vicinity. Um, but the ones who came to him and asked received. And the thing that really struck me is I was looking, I was, I was looking, you know, with a bent towards prayer because we're, we're, we're about to read a section of Matthew, and it's the only section of Matthew where you actually see Jesus praying and see his conversation with God. So I was expecting that there was going to be more of that in Matthew, so I was kind of going through it looking for that. And you don't ever in Matthew see 
him talking to God. And I thought, well, he's, I'm going to see him praying for healing, praying that demons would be cast out. And that's not what you see. He heals. He casts out demons. He teaches with power and authority. And he, you know, people are in awe. And then some people, like the ones from his hometown, say, who are you? Who is this guy? You know, aren't you Mary's son? And he says, because of their lack of faith, he wasn't able to perform as many miracles there. So that's the only little caveat I saw to people not being healed. But other than that, absolutely everyone who comes to him is healed. And, and so, yes, we can say that's Jesus, God, of course he heals. Um, but then we really get into our day-to-day, you know, and where we are in our point in history. And I think it's easy to say, well, there's so much suffering and God works all things for the good. We do know that. So maybe he, you know, it's part of his plan. He gave this to us. Um, but when you look at Jesus in the, in the Gospels, he's never for sickness. He says, and, and Matthew quotes him on this, it says, He came to fulfill the scriptures that the prophet spoke that by his stripes we are healed. That by the pain that he took on his body, is literally the Hebrew word is that our, our sicknesses were removed. So, how do we get the audacity to speak healing, come into alignment with that? And I think I've, I've gone on a very long journey in this. Um, you know, even walking with Michael and Jenna through this has been a real powerful thing for me. I remember moving back from Memphis and coming kind of back into their life. And, you know, Grace was about, I guess, one and a half or two then. And um, I had actually seen quite a few people healed instantly before my eyes because of this group that I was exposed to. Um, I remember going into this room and somebody was like, we're praying for healing for people. And I was like, okay, I'll watch. And he told me, you go lay your hands on that person and, um, and they'll, you know, just pray that God will heal them. And I was like, I don't think they want me to do that. I don't, (laughs) do they know who I am? I don't know how to do this. I don't even know if I believe that, you know, I'm sure God can heal, but I don't know that he's going to heal right when I lay my hand on this person. So I just went and put my hand on their back. It was an older woman who was having a lot of joint pain and um, really in bad shape. And I was like zero faith probably, maybe a mustard seed. Um, totally like had this inner dialogue going on of like, uh. And uh, so other people prayed. And as they were praying, my hand was, I didn't even realize that my hand was like on the curve of her back. And immediately her, like my hand shot like that. Like her back just popped into alignment and she just starts weeping and worshiping i mean it's like that thing where she didn't care who was looking she was just so she was taken from pain to not pain so that was like a step on my journey and i'd seen that happen and so then i come back into michael and jenna's life who i'd had a friendship with both of them from when i was in high school and you know i'm i know that they've prayed for grace's healing i know that they've had healing services for grace And now, standing here, we can look back and see that God is healing grace. He's done miraculous things in her life. But there's also, you know, this sense of, I don't want to give false hope. I don't want to walk alongside my friends here who are carrying disappointment, who are carrying lots of questions, who, you know, Michael was the first to tell you has has gone through stages of anger, just normal life when you're carrying the heaviness of walking through you know, the muck that, that you walk through. And I remember coming in and just thinking, like, I don't really want to talk about the stuff I'm seeing and the stuff I feel like God's challenging me on because I don't want to, I just don't want him to feel bad or I don't want to create false hope. So I've, that's kind of part of my journey. 
And um, I could go on about stories where I have asked God, you know, what about this? What about this? And I guess I'm here to say I think it's really important to do that. Because the, the first place I think where, where we have to come is to the fact that we can ask God that. That we're not just waiting on Michael to tell us that or David or Daryl to tell us what, um, what God thinks about things. But that we, because of Christ, can ask that. We can wrestle with him. We can have questions. And that we can meet face to face and receive answers. That when you receive them from him, it's really hard to shake those answers. Um, Okay, so let's read where we are in Matthew, and then I want to talk more about why we would ever have the audacity to speak healing over somebody. Okay, Matthew 26. I'm sorry, I'm the worst about actually getting my book ready. Matthew 26. And this is after, okay, so also reading through, I realized in the beginning, Matthew is doing this cool thing where he talks about Okay, according to the prophet, this was said, and this is what Jesus did. And it's always about his identity as a son, or his identity as the deliverer or the Messiah, that he is God with us. So Matthew's painting this picture throughout his story of Jesus' life, that he is the son of God. And that was the big question for the Pharisees, probably for the disciples too at, at times. Are you really the son of God? I mean, you see where the disciples have been walking with him. The disciples have been seeing him heal the sick, seeing him preach with wisdom. Jesus even gave them authority. He said, okay, now you go out and heal the sick, cast out demons. And they come back and they're like, wow, this, this really happened. And, oh, well, we struggled here. Why? And he tells them why. And, and then you get to another point in Matthew that's after that. And they have this moment where they say, oh, you really are the son of God. So it's like that's a big question for for Matthew that he's answering, that this is the Son of God. And then the disciples, you see that they're wrestling with that question. Who is this guy? Okay, he really is the Son of God. And so then as we get closer to the end of Matthew, Jesus, there's a lot of parables in the second half of Matthew where it's like, you know, he, he speaks in a parable to the crowd, and then he goes and explains it to the disciples, but it's still not all that clear, at least to me. It's something that you really have to kind of think and ask about, and I'm sure there's all different sides of meaning that you can get out of it for all eternity, but it's not clear. And then you get to Matthew 24, 25, 26, and it's like Jesus changes modes, and he starts speaking really clearly to the disciples about this moment. And he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise from the dead. He does that like five or six times. I wrote it out, but I'm not going to read them. But it's like he knows that he has to be super clear about this because it's not what they're expecting. You know, like Michael's preached on so many times, they're expecting the kingdom of heaven to come, meaning save us from the Romans, meaning be the king, like in the line of King David up on your throne, Jesus. Okay, you can heal the sick. Hey, great. We, we can be unconquerable because when we go out to battle, you heal everybody. We will take... We could possibly take the world by force, of course, with love, but by force. And so he's like telling them that's not how it's going to be. I'm going to go. They're going to arrest me. It's going to be hard. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise. Says that six times. And then we get to this place where, and Michael preached on this last week, they had the Passover meal together. And he says, this is what's going to happen to me. My body's going to be broken. um, And you're going to deny me. And Peter says, Never going to happen, not going to do it. And right after that, that's where we're entering in. 
And this is verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Just a little reminder before I read the rest. This is the very first time in Matthew that you see an actual look into Jesus in that place where he meets with God. Where he talks with his father. Then he said to them, I'm deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Um, And then it goes on. While he's speaking, Judas comes. So a couple things. Back to the question, where do we get the audacity to speak healing? Um, And I want to look at um, where Jesus got the audacity to fulfill his purpose. You know, and this is, this is like the crux. He's about to walk into the thing he was born for, the thing all throughout history that the people of God had been waiting for, their redeemer, their deliverer, the one who would break the yoke of sin and slavery that we were all born into. And in, in this place, we see that he's wrestling with, is this, really, is this really what I need to do? And he says, my father, if this is possible, let this cut pass from me. And I was just reminded in reading through Matthew that it's all about that relationship and identity that Jesus had. That he, Matthew's saying he is the son of God. And in, the, in Matthew 4, when Jesus is tempted, it's like the other intimate look at Jesus and his relationship with God. Where he's tempted and Satan comes to him and says, if you're really the son of God, this. If you're really the son of God, prove it by this. And, and so there... Jesus is, it doesn't step into that. He's, he, you know, that's Satan saying, prove it if you're the son of the God. In this place, this is the father saying, you're my son. And now is, now is the time to prove it, which he does um, very decisively. Um, I want to read, you know, what the ramifications of that are for us. If he was really the son of God. Um, and and if, if the big question about Jesus is whether he was the son or not, and that he had to wrestle with that probably in his own flesh because he was fully man too, um, you know, that that's probably going to be something as children of God also that we struggle with. Are you really a child of the king? And you might think, well, yes, I am. I know that I am, but, you know... The pastor is really a child of the king, and I'm, you know, I kind of am, and I'm sure that I could follow Jesus, but I'm not, like, I think we all just do this thing where we, we watch, and sometimes, um, unless we know that we know that we know that we are brothers and sisters with Christ, that through Christ we've stepped into the family of God, and that when God looks at us, he sees us as if we are 
Jesus, his heirs to his throne in his family, um, that if that something that there's this question probably that's planted that is, is that really you? And I think in the same way that Jesus with his life answered that he was the son of God, that as we receive that, um, we get more and more, and it's a process and a journey, but we get to a place where we will do what Jesus did because that's, that's what the whole picture is. He was a rabbi, and the disciples that followed him, it was all about being just like him. And he said, hey, I'm going to the Father, and I'm going to send the Spirit, and so you will do greater things than I did. He said that to his followers. So here we are 2,000 years later, and we're his followers, and he says, hey, I've sent my Spirit, and you are my child God says, you're my child, you're a brother and sister with Christ, so you will do greater things than Jesus did. And I think maybe we've heard that before, maybe we've heard scriptures about that, but I'm going to pray that that's something that really changes us and that we receive the spirit of adoption. And I'm going to read one scripture from Romans 8, and then I'm going to pray that over us, and then we'll worship. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Father, I just ask that you would... um, Write that truth not just on our minds or in our notebooks or in our thoughts about theology, but in the very depths of us, that our identity is heirs, that we, that we truly would be able to turn to you and say, Abba, Father. And if there's places in us that don't know you as an Abba who has chosen us, who has received us, who has completely forgiven us, who has completely loved and wooed us to himself if there's parts of us that don't know your love for us that was the same and is the same as your love for jesus that you would just take those parts of us out and release into us a spirit of adoption that we would know in the depths of us that we are adopted as sons and daughters of the king that we are made whole and made new and that In that place, we can do the things you did. We can hear for ourselves from our Father God. We can talk with you, our brother Jesus, and that truly you are in the room and we can hear your voice and you are leading us on a beautiful journey. I pray that we would be encouraged by the example of the disciples who fell asleep time and time again. And thank you that you call us on even when we fall asleep in your presence. You call us on when we do not know what's going on and when we don't, we don't feel certain about the future. But thank you, Father, that you lead us. Thank you that you call us yours. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.